I invite you to take a Bible and to open it to the book of Psalms, and we'll be reading Psalm chapter 2 today. The Psalms are the ancient uh, song and prayer book of the children of Israel that are written uh, throughout the course of the story uh, of the nation of Israel in its history recorded for us in the Old Testament. Eventually, these individually written Psalms or groups of them were then put together in the, the final form that we now have them and preserved for us to hear these words and to take them upon ourselves to instruct our own prayers and songs of praise. And one of the unique things when we come to the Psalms that we get to peek into is the very material that Jesus himself would have been raised and instructed in. Songs that would have guided his prayers and his family's worship and that shaped his own understanding of his work and ministry. And Psalm 1 and 2, I submit to you, are introductions to the, the whole book uh, that frame how we're supposed to read every one of them. And that's true of all of the Bible. We can learn a little bit as we look at individual parts of it, but we're also helped and aided when we consider the whole purpose for which Scripture was given to us. And so sometimes we need the perspective of the whole to help us interpret the individual parts. And Psalm 1 and 2 are, are that in particular. And so we will continue each week to move on to Psalm 3 next week and then Psalm 4. Uh, but sort of Psalms 1 and 2 will be psalms that we'll never want to forget along the way as we continue. So here's Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision, and then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This will conclude our reading for this morning. The opening of Psalm 1 had said, Blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked and does not stand in the way of sinners or seat in the sit of scoffers. And here, that general instruction of rejecting the counsel of the wicked becomes more specific and particular. What is 
the counsel of the wicked. What are the scoffers saying that we are supposed to be rejecting? And we get more detail in that as we read this psalm. And so we see, first of all, what is the wicked's counsel? And it's uh, in our English Bibles put into quotations for us in verse 3. So part of what the the kings of the earth and the rulers uh, of the earth are counseling one another is they are saying to one another, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. So they are wanting freedom from the way and the wisdom of God and from the anointed servant of God. They're saying, we don't, we don't want anything to do with that. We want to be set free from those bonds. We want to be set free from any obligations to his will and counsel or ultimately from his anointing. And their expectation is that is that in this greater freedom that they will have, we can imagine that there's all kinds of things they're hoping uh, that they would acquire or achieve as a result of sort of breaking free from the constraints and the boundaries that God would place upon them. And the psalmist is warning them not to do that, that that's a fool's errand to think that we'll have greater freedom if we walk away from God or that we'll have greater fulfillment or joy or purpose and meaning if we reject his counsel and his way. And so then the imagery by the end of the psalm is uh, this counsel that they're giving to break away, thinking that they'll be free, ultimately results in being profoundly broken, a vessel that's shattered. The thing that they were hoping uh, to, to get away from, thinking uh, wrongly that life would be better in walking away from God at some point becomes the realization that no, they would be like pieces, uh, broken pieces of a potter's vessel. And so the promise, uh, the counsel, the, the advice, the scoffing of the wicked to say, come and experience life without God. You don't have to follow him. You don't have to believe his word. You don't have to take his counsel. It's really better over here. It's more fulfilling. It's more exciting when we reject him in his ways. Uh, the psalmist is saying, don't, don't listen to that. Don't, don't heed that counsel because it is a broken promise every time. It was a broken promise for Adam and Eve when they were given God's clear instruction It was a broken promise when Cain thought maybe if he took care of Abel, life would be better. And it continues to be a broken promise. That if we reject God and we reject God's ways, that somehow we will come up with a better way of doing things. That we will know either how to save ourselves or where to find true and lasting joy. This is the counsel that we are supposed to reject. And here it says, this isn't just individual people that are rejecting it, but actually the the psalm begins in this rhetorical question, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? And so here what's also being revealed is eventually this counsel of distance from God and his ways turns into animosity towards God and his ways. And so you could 
read Romans chapter 1 is a great parallel to Psalm 1 and 2, where you see this progression of sinfulness or this progression of the consequences of rejecting God. At first thinking, maybe we just know better and let's try this, to actually developing an antagonism and an animosity, a hatred toward God and his ways, such that our psalm today opens up pondering, why do the nations rage? How did this desire to be more free, probably out of some promise to greater joy, now turn into this reality of uncontrolled anger and frustration, that they are now conniving and planning against the Lord and his ways. And that's, again, one of, the, one of the reasons that Scripture warns us against sin is that it has this gravitational pull in it, that sin always leads us farther and farther in. And we can think we're making a small or a simple compromise that eventually becomes a complete and total rebellion and rejection of God and his word and his ways. And so the advice of scripture is to ignore that counsel, to reject it, uh, to say loud and clear that throughout human history, it is a false promise. It is a false hope to think that there will be a sense of purpose or fulfillment or real and lasting blessing or joy in anything other than in God himself and the ways in which he has created us and designed us. And so we need to reject this counsel. And then it also tells us that part of uh, what this counsel is focused on is not just what had been described in Psalm 1 as the law of the Lord that we're supposed to delight in, but actually in also rejecting specifically the one that the Lord has anointed. That the whoever it is that the Lord has chosen to work through, he has a purpose in doing that. And sadly, when we read throughout Scripture, it's not only the the Gentiles who have opposition towards the nation of Israel, but there are also plenty of times where within Israel, there is a a rejection of the ways in which the Lord would anoint someone and who it is that he would anoint. And that's a a sadly repeated theme in Israel's history. That many times, it's not just the godless who are wandering from him and opposed to him, but many people who think they're following God and who think they know exactly what God should do, but then when they find out he's not actually working in the exact way they would want it, that they, they reject the Lord's anointed. And so this psalm, if you think of one of the most dramatic anointings in the nation of Israel, was when Samuel anointed King David. And for that very anointing to take place, it actually happened against the thoughts and perceived wisdom of David's own father. That when Samuel came to Jesse and said, you know what, I've been sent here because there is a king who's reigning and he is not the king that is anointed by the Lord, and we need a king that has the Lord's anointed, that even Jesse himself put forward uh, his other sons to say, well, here's, here's one, here's another, here's another, and they get all the way to the end, 
And, and Sam was like, is there anybody else? And Jesse, not necessarily dismissively, but it, it kind of comes across that way. Well, there is one more, and he's out in the field taking care of the sheep. And Samuel says, the Lord does not look upon the things that, that human, humans look on. And so then when Samuel sees him, says, yes, this is the Lord's anointed. And for some, uh, there, there's a, a beauty in that. Eventually for David, he would become the king. And even before he was officially crowned the king, he would embody this psalm by being the Lord's anointed who stood against the raging Philistine in Goliath. When nobody else was willing to stand up for the Lord against the raging of the nations, David raised his hand and, and said that he was going to put his trust in the Lord and that he was going to defeat Goliath on behalf of the nation of Israel. And when we would expect then that most people would celebrate and be excited, actually it's not very long that from within Israel, and specifically from the current reigning king, Saul, he becomes jealous rather than happy. As David continues to fulfill the calling that God has placed on his life and the people start to celebrate that, uh, that Saul grows increasingly hostile and is against the Lord's anointed. And so there was the enemies from without, and then there was the enemies from within. And God regularly throughout Scripture anoints people for his service who themselves don't necessarily feel qualified or who go against the expectations of what everybody else in the room thinks it should be. Did, would God really choose Joseph? when there were so many older siblings in the family? And then how did most of those older siblings handle it when they heard that Joseph might actually be the Lord's anointed? When God called Moses to help lead the people out of Israel, he himself said, God, I am not sure you have the right person for this job. You want me? to go back there, a place that he had to flee from out of fear for his own life because he knew he had committed a crime for which he could be punished. But the Lord said, yes, Moses, you're the one I'm sending to the people. And then again repeated with David. Not the oldest, not the brightest or best looking, all the categories that made the children of Israel choose Saul for themselves didn't necessarily apply when it came to David. But here Psalm 2 is saying, we have to trust the Lord and his ways, rejecting the counsel of the wicked. We are to be open to the surprising and unexpected category um, breaking plans and purposes of God. We don't understand all of his ways. There's mysteries to them. But we do see a pattern in scripture that he regularly chooses to do things in a way that requires the people around him to have faith. That isn't just this sort of obvious, oh, of course this is the one you would choose, or of course 
this is the exact way you would choose. Because he works in all kinds of different ways, and many times in surprising ways. That was even you know, part of our challenge as parents on, on Monday night, as uh, we couldn't turn the TV off, and even when we realized maybe we should and we need to go to bed, it was, no, our, we're all seeing this, and so we're grieving, and our kids are crying, and they're wrestling with this, and as they're giving voice to some of their tears and their grief, this doesn't make sense. This was a young person. This was an athlete. He's only 24 years old. People don't die young. And then it was, you know, a challenge for us to say, what's our responsibility at that moment? To say, oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. It it is only really old people um, that pass away. Or they said, are we going to know when we wake up in the morning what what the result is, how well he is, and to say, no, we might not know. It, it might be many days that we know, or what we might know is the thing we're all hoping we don't know. Because we don't, none of us can say how and why the Lord does the things that he does and in the times and in the ways that he happens, but the week before, our hymn of the week as we were working through it going to bed was my Jesus I love thee and so I just referred back to that song uh, to them to say you know when we were singing the verse I love thee in life and I will love thee in death and love thee as long as thou lendest me breath do you know what it means when we say lendest me breath no when you lend something to somebody You give it to them for a time. But you don't give it to them in a way that they then have full and complete control of it. It's something that is yours that you allow someone else to have. But everybody knows to whom it still belongs. And so when we're singing that God lends us breath, do you know we're saying? That every breath is a gift. Every day and second and moment of our lives is a gift and a blessing from him. And when we then look at the pages of scripture and think of so many people that have gone through such significant hardship and challenge and tragedy, we cannot ourselves say, this is how it's always gonna work. This is how it always plays out. There are so many circumstances in life that challenge us and that confound us. And the scriptures are honest about that. And they want us and our faith in God to be honest about it, to have our eyes wide open to those realities. But the scripture is also honest and gives us regularly glimmers of hope that what sometimes is meant for evil by other people actually becomes an occasion and a means by which God brings glory to himself and works in unique ways in our hearts to bring compassion from them, to help us actually love each other better than we do, to put down at times some of the hostilities that we have toward one another and to all of a sudden be much more kind and much more compassionate and much more humble. What are the things that usually cause that? Usually surprising and unexpected things, usually things that cause us to grieve and weep. And so we don't always know what is the exact way the Lord would choose to work 
but we trust that his ways are best. At least we should. That's what scripture's inviting us to, to reject the counsel of the wicked that says we can do so much better than him. But then also when it seems like he's working in ways that don't measure up immediately to our expectations, that we would pause and say, God, I'm just gonna trust that you're still working. And so eventually this becomes David's challenge as he does know that Samuel has anointed him as king, as Saul's hostility is increasingly growing toward him. But David has to say, I am actually not gonna intervene and overstep my bounds and ignore the fact that God has also placed you at a time as king of this nation. And so David had to live in that tension of This is clearly a king that God has rejected in some sense in that now he's the new and anointed king. But it also was not, that didn't mean it was David's responsibility to take over and make everything happen on his own, but to still trust that God had his purposes and that his time would come and that the Lord would exalt him and elevate him in his time. And so we need to reject the wicked's counsel when it's causing us to think we know better than God and we don't need his anointed but we also need to reject our own pride or arrogance when the Lord's anointed and chosen path is not exactly what we would choose or want And this is all then later revealed when Jesus himself, the ultimate fulfillment of this psalm, comes. There is the rejection on the part of Herod when he hears that wise men have come from the east and they they say there's a new king who's born and Herod's like, there's no new king. But then there's also this rejection from the part of so many people who said they were following after God, who thought they were waiting for this king when this king was not like the king they were hoping for. And so they said, wait, wait a minute. If the Lord's anointed is like that, then I don't want the Lord's anointed. What do you mean? If the Lord's anointed is going to cross socio and economic and racial boundaries and invite people from anywhere and everywhere to follow after him and to tell us that we should find a way in following him to love one another across all... No, no, no. You can keep... (laughs) The Lord's anointed. You, you, uh, that, that isn't what I'm looking for. Or if the Lord's anointed is saying, actually, this whole temple, this whole thing you're building on, this isn't going to last very long. This, this whole thing is coming down soon. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees have to look around and say, you, he says we're out of a job? He says we're not going to be able to keep the, the system going the way we want it? Yes, that's what he's saying. Well, then that's part of what creates this rejection on their part of him. Because they did not want him to come in the way that he came. They wanted a war horse. Not a savior riding on a donkey on that Palm Sunday. And that's still a challenge for us today when we consider, are we loyal to the son, to the anointed one that he's come? Or do we want him to work in the ways that he has said he is going to work in our lives and in our hearts? 
Or do we say, God, I'm only going to follow you if you do it this way. Only if at the end of this, I get to look better, or I get to look stronger, or everybody I know is safe and okay, and it's only the other people uh, who ever have to deal with suffering and pain. Or do we say, Lord, we've learned we can't trust in ourselves, we can't trust in our ways, we do trust in you. And so we are willing to follow you in whatever path you have. We want to trust you with every part of our life. But all of us, when we feel a sense of shame or embarrassment about things, uh, we can, again, be just so quickly tempted to run from God. Yesterday, I came home, and it was clear uh, that something was a little bit unusual, and not unusual in that I thought, oh, no, like, there was something that was wrong that was done. It was more unusual in the potentially embarrassing category. And so when I thought I knew who did it, and I said, hey, can you help me? Why, why is this... Uh, over here. This is kind of unusual, and I thought there might be a story behind it. Uh, the son uh, for whom was guilty said, oh, that? I'll tell you about that in three years. <laughs> I said, three years? Can we, can we talk right now about it? But it was in this, yeah, this is not a proud moment. I'm a little bit embarrassed, so I'd rather push this uh, as far away as I can. It's a pretty natural human response on the part of all of us. But scripture would invite us to right now take seriously uh, the Lord and his anointed. That he does want to talk about the embarrassing parts of our lives, the ways that we've rejected him, whether we've rejected him out of sort of anger and rage against him or out of self-righteousness and pride and saying, I don't like the way you do things. He wants to speak to each and every one of us. Because ultimately, as the psalm ends, it says, Therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling and kiss the Son. Because then the blessing that's announced at the end is the blessing that is meant for each and every one of us. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. We will only take refuge in him if we come to that place of trusting in him and surrendering in him and to him. And then we actually get a glimpse in the very early days of the church of how they took this very psalm. And when they were faced with a situation that did not make sense, when the religious leaders were trying to stop them and what they were doing and arrested Peter and John, uh, and so they were uh, facing temptations all around them, they actually come back to this very psalm. So if you have a Bible, you can open it to Acts chapter 4. And this is how we will see the very earliest followers of Jesus taking refuge in him. Even when it meant challenge and suffering in their lives. We can't read the whole backstory, but in Acts chapter 4, they've been arrested for proclaiming Jesus. And now they've been threatened and warned that, hey, we're going to let you go, but you absolutely can't keep telling people about Jesus. And then we pick it up in verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them, which was, you have to stop doing this. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage 
and the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And so here they are dealing with profound challenges and circumstances, real political pressure, the leaders coming against them. But because they've seen that in Jesus, when all of that pressure came against him, even to the point of his own death, but because he rose again, <laughs> victorious over that, that he is actually the only one that should be feared. He is the only one that we should allow a, a sense of awe and wonder at his power to really take hold in our hearts. Every other power, every other leader, every other authority will ultimately break and shatter and crumble upon its death. But Christ alone rose victorious from the dead to give you and me a faith that is unshakable, a refuge that we can go to at any time. And this is a refuge that is available for each and for every one of us. It's a beautiful way the psalm ends to, to highlight the point where Psalm 1 began in the singular, blessed is the man or the one who walks not in the counsel of the way. Here at the end of chapter 2 is blessed are all who take refuge in him. That this message is for anyone and everyone who would say that they want to follow the anointed one of our God. That they want Jesus to be the center of their lives here and in eternity. That there is real and lasting refuge that we can experience in him. There's a, a new book out that sort of shares a devotional thought on each of the Psalms. Um, but I thought it was interesting that the title that the author used for the whole book was In the Lord I Take Refuge. And here's what the author says in reflecting on Psalm 2. Despite whatever tumults rock our lives today, David's greatest son, Jesus himself, has been installed as the ruler of the world. One day this kingship will break open in universal acknowledgement and the universal execution of perfect justice. But for now, we can go forth in the glad assurance that in Jesus we will one day leave behind forever the futility of the present. Every injustice in our lives and in the world will be undone. 
take heart. We are on the right side. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and its reminder of your power and your wisdom that you have given your law for us to delight in and to guide our steps. And you have anointed your own son to also be the place of safety and security and refuge for each and every one of our hearts. And so we pray that you would help all of us to find our refuge in him, to trust that if we fear you first, not in a fear that runs away from you, but in a wonder and an awe and a respect of who you are and how great your power is, that it would give us that confidence to trust you even when life doesn't make sense, to trust that you are still working even when days are difficult, uh, when hardships persist, and that sometimes actually you're doing your greatest work on those difficult days. And so, Father, help us to, to, to not be drawn away as the, the counsel of the wicked would have us to, to run from you, but help us just to uh, trust in you, that you know what you're doing, and that whatever the enemy means for evil, you have a way of bringing about good, that you have a way of bringing glory to your name and shining your light to this world. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.